If you would give a person a gift, and that person refused to take your gift, what is your perception of that person? The question is, would you perceive that person as prideful? If you give a person a gift, and then you find out that this person has never, ever unwrapped that gift and took it home and put it on a shelf, would you say that this person is careless and thoughtless? If you give a person a gift and you find that that person took your gift and tossed it out, they may have tossed it to somebody else, but at least tossed it out, would you perceive that person as inconsiderate and thoughtless? And I haven't even begun to talk about how the giver must feel when he finds out the reaction and the response to his gift. I haven't even begun to talk about the depth of the disappointment of the giver. I haven't even begun to talk about the brokenheartedness of the giver. And what compounds the problem is that giver, that very giver is a, such a loving giver that, that he's caring and gracious giver. What compounds the problem is that when the giver is such a selfless, generous person, is that the giver is such a kind and thoughtful and benevolent person. And he said, Michael, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. That's impossible. That's beyond the pale. That, that is inconceivable. And yet, beloved friends, listen to me very carefully. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ when he ascended on high. And he gave each one of his children at least one gift, if not more. And yet, that's how most of his children react to his gift. Some refuse to take it. Others take it and never unwrap it. Others, they toss it out to somebody else. Because every time a person is born of the Spirit of God, every time a person is born again, every time a person repents of his or her sins and receives Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, on that day of your spiritual birth, the Lord Jesus Christ gives you a spiritual birthday gift wrapped with your name on it. Nobody else's, yours. It is not talent, it's a spiritual gift. But listen, this is not just any old gift. This is not just a gift that is bought at a bargain basement price. This is not just a gift that is picked out and distributed randomly. This is not just a gift that anybody can take. This is not just a gift that is doled out haphazardly or, or taken out of a hat like a lottery. No, 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 no. Each gift is tailor-made for each individual person. It can never be replicated. It can never be duplicated. Each gift is measured to the person's capabilities. Each gift is designed specially only with you in mind. Each gift is distinct in its parameters. Each gift has been given for a purpose in mind on the part of God. And that is why the lack of the use of that gift compounds the hurt on the part of the giver. Hear me right on this one. This is such an urgent matter. This is such a serious matter. This is such an important matter that God inspired the Apostle Paul 
to talk about it again and again and again at least three times in Ephesians chapter 4, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Romans 12. Not only that, but if you combine these lists that are in the Scripture, if you combine the list of those gifts, you couldn't possibly exhaust the varieties of these gifts. For example, we do not just have one kind of teaching gift. There are teaching gifts in the plural. There's not just one gift of service. There are gift of services. You can find a hundred believers with teaching gift, and each of them is different, literally. They are different in emphasis. They are different in scope. They are different in ability. They are different in degree. They are different in area. There is one who may excel in public teaching to adults. Other will excel in public teaching to children. Other will excel in teaching one-on-one, which is in the sight of God just as important. And the list goes on and on and on. Listen to me. Just like there are no two snowflakes alike, just like there are no two thumbprints alike, just like there are no two DNAs alike, there are no two gifts alike. Each gift is individually tailor-made for you. Now you can understand the depth of the disappointment of the giver. Now you can understand that Jesus has purposefully tailor-made a gift for you, that He, in making that gift for you, He took into account all, everything about you, your personality, your temperaments, your education, your background, the various influences that you're going to have in your life, the various needs that He's going to be presenting you with. He has taken all of that into account when He gave you a spiritual birthday gift. But not only that, He has given each person, each person, more than one gift with endless varieties of combinations. God did not create us as human beings on an assembly line that we all look alike. And neither did He gift us on an assembly production line. There are not two alike. I want you to hear me right on this one. In God's sovereign plan, and I don't understand it, I really do, I confess to you. In God's sovereign plan, no one Christian can replace another absolutely is an impossibility. No one Christian can take the place of the other. No one Christian can do the work of another. That's how God willed it. This is how God in His sovereign plan worked it out. And that is why this is probably one of the most serious messages that I ever preached in this place. Why? Because when you refuse to unwrap your gift, when you refuse to joyfully use your gift, when you refuse to acknowledge your gift, when you despise your gift, when you ignore your gift, when you minimize your gift, you don't only hurt the heart of the giver, but you cause injury to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the giver. And the body that does not have everyone exercising their spiritual gift is an unhealthy body. It's a sick body. Listen to me. 
when you pretend that your gift or gifts do not matter, or when you believe that you don't have to minister and you don't have to administer your gift, God's work becomes paralyzed. That's why the church of Jesus Christ today is in the mess it's in today, simply because we have churches with thousands of people, and they are audiences. There are spectators, not a body. When God brought you to this place, He's basically said to you that you have a ministry to this body that nobody else can accomplish. Nobody else but you. That you have been given a gift to use that nobody else can. That you have a contribution to make that nobody else is able to make but you. Listen, these are not just an impassionate words of a pastor who longs to see every member of the body exercising their gift. They are, but they really are more than that. They are the Word of God. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. As we continue in this series of messages, Discover Your Treasure House, we're going to look at the responsibility of claiming that treasure house. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul said, when he ascended on high... He led the captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. Here Paul is quoting a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ that is found in Psalm 68. This is a prophecy about the Messiah coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he quotes it here. And the image that Paul is presenting, it's the most incredible image, and I can never, I can never do justice to it, but I'm going to try. This is an image of a king who went into the battlefield. And there in the battlefield, he fought valiantly. He fought tirelessly. He fought with all his might. He fought exhaustingly, the enemy. And when the battle was over, the king was gloriously victorious. And like all the victorious kings of those days, he brought all of the spoils out of his enemy's camp, the defeated enemy. He brought all of the prisoners with him. He brought all of his officers and his soldiers who were captives to the enemy, who were taken as enemies combatant by the enemy. And he sets him free, and he brings him into the parade. And then he brings with him all the trophies of victory. He brings with him all the spoils of victory. And he brings him into this big parade. But not only that, the victorious king at the time would give gifts to his soldiers, uh, to the ones whom he had just set free from the enemy's clutches. He would distribute among them the spoils of victory. He would reward them with his victory. Please, I want you to listen very carefully. For a long time, Satan held all of humanity's captive. For a long time, Satan held all of humanity in his slave camps. And for a long time, Satan's chain bound us and held us down. For a long time, Satan and sin held us in its crutches. But on the cross, I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm going to say. (laughs) On the cross, King Jesus fought Satan. King Jesus took him on. 
King Jesus fought the battle. King Jesus defeated Satan and sin. King Jesus defeated death and dying. And by His resurrection and ascension, victorious King Jesus took all of the spoils from Satan and sin. Victorious King Jesus arrested the title deeds of planet earth that Satan had taken out of Adam and Eve when they succumbed to his temptation. He took those title deeds back, and he set the captives free. Victorious King Jesus freed all of his soldiers and all of his officers, all of his children from the chains and the clutches of Satan. Victorious King Jesus had set the captives free. Victorious King Jesus divided all of the spoils, and he gave to every one of his children a gift that was tailor-made with your name written all over it. It cannot work for somebody else. It's only for you. And on your spiritual birthday, He handed you that gift. Amen. Our triumphant, conquering Jesus distributed the spoils to His subjects. Every one of them. Not one single person can say, I'm left out. He did not leave a single person out. If you're born of the Spirit of God on that spiritual birthday, He handed you a gift. Listen, for Jesus to give you that gift, oh my goodness, He fought the fight. He paid a colossal price. He came down from the highest of heaven to the lowest of the earth. And Look at verses 9 and 10. That's what He's trying to tell you. He left the highest of heaven. The God who told all these galaxies to stay in their place. The God who created all of this. The God who sits on the rim of the universe. That God left the glories of heaven. And He came to the lowest part of the earth. That tiny little speck that you can't even see it. That's like a crumb on top of the ocean. And He came. And He fought Satan and won. So that you may have a spiritual gift. That you can use in your Christian life and your Christian walk. And I hope that you are beginning to understand the incredible depth of hurt on the part of the giver. When a Christian would say, gift? What gift? I don't have any gifts. Surely God knows how busy I am making a living. Surely God knows how hard I work. Surely God knows the limitations of my time. Surely God knows of all the responsibilities that I have. My beloved friend, He does know. He does know. But I'm going to share to you, with you something from the depth of my heart, from our experience in the last 30 years. When we tithe, when we had absolutely next to nothing, but we tithe from the top, we tithe the first fruit, God blessed us. He stretched the dollar all the way around the house. He increased and He gave us everything we need, and then He gave us what we wanted. And in the same way, God, when I came to Him 16 years ago, and I began to give him the first fruit of the day. And I began to give him the first fruit of my time. I can accomplish today far more in two hours than I used to accomplish in two weeks. This is the way God worked, beloved friend. When you begin to put him first, when you begin to exercise the gift that he has given you that nobody else has, he will bless you. He will increase you. He will give you hours in your time. He will give you energy that you never knew possible. I want you to hear me right on this one. The Bible said that we believers are going to give an account on every word that we've ever uttered. Let me tell you something. 
That part of the scripture sends shivers down my back and my spine because I know that I've said many words that I didn't like saying. I've said many words I wish I could have taken it back. i said many words that I wish that I've never said. And if I am going to give an account on every word that is uttered, and I've uttered so many words I wish I didn't utter, how much more is He going to hold us accountable for the use of the gifts that He's given us? In Ephesians 4, Paul limits the list here. He elaborates on them in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, but the implications are all there. And let me ask you this, and I'll hold it to illustrate what I'm trying to tell you. What parent could not open the Scripture and say to his or her children, thus says the Lord? What neighbor, what co-worker, who when they're counseling a friend or a co-worker and a neighbor about the problem they are in, cannot open the Word of God and say, thus says the Lord? That's the gift of prophecy. That's the application of the gift today. What father could not be a pastor to his wife and children? What father cannot exercise pastoral responsibility in his home? And while these gifts, as Paul mentions them, apostles and prophets and so forth, they were applicable to certain groups of people. Apostles, for example, was applied specifically to those who have had an eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Paul had to have a special revelation of the resurrected Christ in order that he might be counted as an apostle. The prophets in the Old Testament were the mouthpiece of God. But apostles also means they're sent out. So the application is that every one of us can be an apostle. A prophet is the one who can open the Scripture and say, Thus says the Lord. So every one of us can be a prophet. That's the application of that text. We are the sent ones. We are the expounders of the Word of God. Why? Why does God so anxious for His children to exercise the gift that He has given them? Is it just to please Him? You know, if that was all, it would be good enough reason for us to do it. But it's more than that. Because God, in His sovereign plan, He chose to bless His church. He chose to bless His work. He chose to bless His ministry. He chose to reach the lost by asking His children, the believers whom He has gifted, to go out and use that gift. And that is why, when He ascended on high, He gave gifts to men, to everyone of His children. And He gave these gifts first to equip You know, the word equip comes from medicine, comes from the world of orthopedic surgery where an orthopede would set right a broken bone and sets it right. That's really the word that is used here. It is a term that means to make whole. And listen to me, how many people all around us who are desperate to know how to be made whole? Secondly, for the work of service, any service. Thirdly, it's for the building up. That's a spiritual edification of one another, for encouragement of one another, for the uplifting of one another. And how can we do that when we're not involved with one another? And the reason for all of this is found in verse 14. That is really why it is of vital importance for everybody use his or her gift. Verse 14. So that God's children do not stay as babies in the faith. So that God's children, they were given these gifts so that they 
would not remain immature in the faith. There is nothing more heartbreaking than to see an adult behave like a child. And you think that's what the Apostle Paul meant? Absolutely. It breaks God's heart when he sees his children not discerning, when he sees the children running around and looking for fulfillment elsewhere other than in him. You know, when I was a boy, I loved the circuses. And whenever the circus came to town, my goodness, I was down in that parade, man. I followed that circus all the way to the end where they set it up. Every time a circus came into town, it doesn't matter what circus, it doesn't matter what name, I'm right there in that circus parade. And I would follow them all the way where they set it up. But that's all right for a little boy. That's all right for kids. Kids are supposed to do that. But when you see a 50-year-old person running after every circus parade, you have to really weep over them. Why? Because they lack discernment. They lack discernment. That's why chapter 4, verse 14 says, when we exercise our spiritual gifts, we become mature, and we're no longer running after every Christian circus that comes to town. I know, and I've seen it, believers are running around from seminar to seminar, and conference to conference, and teacher to teacher, and even church to church, looking for fulfillment. (laughs) The Bible said, if you're looking for fulfillment, look no further than you being able to exercise your spiritual gift that God has given you. And therefore, the question should be, How can I discover my spiritual gift and use it for the glory of God and for the edification of the body? That's the question. That's where your fulfillment is. That's where your joy is. Why? Verse 15. So that we may grow in Christ-likeness. Now, beloved, the opposite is true here. When you don't use your gift, you paralyze the body. You really do. You may not realize that, but you do. You hamper its effectiveness. You hinder its progress. You cripple its impact. When you refuse to actively use the gift that God has given you, you are hurting the very heart of the giver. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.